0: One thing I love about this congregation, we tend to drag behind late, you know. Uh, don't ever put me in charge of turning the lights off because they'll never go off, you know. And so we're all sitting there talking, you know, having a good time. And then someone's like, come on, guys, it's, you know, it's time to go. Click, 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 you know. and uh, But I love the, the fellowship of people. But, um, you know, let us hurry to be in the presence of studying God's Word, let us desire that. I think that's a beautiful kind. Con- so this morning, uh, with our fun organization of the tables here, because tonight we are honoring Doug and Jody for uh, what I'm going to go ahead and say is a lifetime of, of service to this congregation. How long? 20? 30? I mean, you know, you know, I have children younger than that. Some of y'all look younger than that, right? I don't know. Uh, but. You know, I think it's appropriate to honor people who have done good things for the Lord's work, and so I'm very excited to to be here this evening. The de- the things that um, now th- I didn't adjust this because we switched a couple of them, but the things dealing with um, uh, Caleb, y'all talking about the uh, the day and the hour, that sort of. Uh, what tends to be perceived as apocalyptic into the you know the, it, getting into some of these things is really uh, can be difficult now you may love it you may be a you know an expert on i'm sitting there going man this is i've never seen this passage over you know bringing in daniel and stuff like that right i was not here last week looking at the great commission but i found on the youtube or the facebook where he had it posted so i pulled uh david's uh, lesson there and I started to hit play with it. This was Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, because I want to see what's going on in here. Um, and then I had to hit pause and go take care of some stuff. And then I didn't come back to it. I was looking for it this weekend and I couldn't find the link. So I'll find it. I will go back and watch it. I think it's a great tool we have to go in. I really want to go back and spend a hundred hours, you know, looking at Billy's classes as well, because I'm sure that's some two amazing bodies of Information to study, you know, both here, the words of Jesus, and I think Billy's taking the approach of how the Old Testament foreshadows Jesus, the the prophets. I, I don't know. I go. I want to go look into that, right? he and I talk periodically about that. But here we are talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But before I really get into that, I didn't finish two weeks ago the Lord's Supper, and I think I left out the most important part. Yeah, that's what I think. So I want to kind of go back and take. I'm going to say five minutes. It might be twenty, but just you know, kind of. Do Again, these are the texts that we look at two weeks ago in the Lord's Supper. The Gospels, where Jesus does the Lord's Supper and He says, do this and you know, this is the blood of the cup, it th- does all that. We looked at Exodus 12, which is when they first did it and how you know, get the animal, you, you do this and all this. We looked at Acts 20, where we saw it, it was shortly after the Passover. They're traveling, they go to church, they have communion, communion again. So we knew that it's not just an annual event. Uh, Exodus 6 plays into the Passover, and I'll pull that up in just a minute. But we really didn't hit this 1 Corinthians passage, and that's kind of the standard go-to passage if you're not looking at one of the Gospels. It's the normal passage we look at when we're reading during the Lord's Supper time at church. So I want to kind of just touch that for a second. In Exodus 12, we saw the rules, uh, one lamb per household. And if, you, if your household was too small, you had your neighbor come over, right, and you... You got all the leaven out. You you killed the lamb. You roasted and ate everything, and then seven days later you finished eating unleavened bread. So for a week they ate unleavened bread, but for the night they ate the lamb. Putting the blood on the post that was specific to Exodus. All right, they didn't continue that, but that was specific to Exodus. And maybe one day I'll get a chance to teach a series about that. But in the modern Passover observance, the the Jewish the practicing Jewish people look back at Exodus chapter six as their their model for how to do the Passover Seder, the Passover meal, this Passover event. In Exodus chapter 6, God is speaking to um, Moses and He lays out a series of things He's going to do, right? He says, I will rescue you from beneath the burden of Egypt. I will save you from their enslavement. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And great acts of judgment and I will take you for myself as a people and be your God and during the modern and I'm going to say this even goes back to the days of Jesus and before during current celebrations of this event this each one of these phrases indicates a different cup of and I'm going to use the word fruit of the vine okay uh, in all conservative circles I run in we recognize that this, that grape juice is acceptable, that wine is acceptable, but more than likely it was some sort of diluted wine and the ratio, but it's like, that's a preferred juice of a grape, all right? Juice of a watermelon, even though it grows on a vine, is not what we're talking you know. If I'm t- talking about, it, if I'm going to be riding some hogs with my buddies this weekend, I'm not riding Razorbacks, I'm riding Harley Davidsons, right? That's what a hog is. So saying fruit of the vine is not any fruit that grows on any vine, it is specific to something grape, right? I don't know how I feel about grape Kool-Aid, all right. In an extreme circumstance, I'm not gonna be belligerent about things and if what if, if that's your only choice, do you not do it or you do do it with grape juice? I don't know. There's a beautiful passage in Second Chronicles where they did everything wrong. They celebrated the Passover wrong. They hadn't done it in generations and the, the king of the south, of the, of the Jewish nation, sends word up to the king of the north. Says, hey, we, we just found out about this thing called Passover. We haven't done it since the days of David and Solomon. We've got to do it. You guys who have separated yourself, come back and let's do this. And when it came time to do it, in the first month, they didn't have enough priests who had sanctified themselves. So they said, let's move it to the second month. And even then they didn't have enough priests. So they said, let's some of the Levites who aren't priests, can y'all help out with some of these things? And they started it on the second month instead of the first month. And they did it for seven days like they're supposed to. It was going so well. They said, let's do it for another seven days. So they did it for another seven days. And God looked down at that and he said, you know what? You did it in the wrong month. You used the wrong people. You did it for the wrong amount of time. But it's acceptable because you haven't done it in so long and you saw the importance of it. Now, from that point on, they should do it first month, 10th day, do it appropriately, right? So there are extreme cases we see in Scripture where I'm not going to get all bound up over doing it exactly right, you know. Did that Passover count as an official Passover? Probably not. But was it wrong for them to exhibit that level of repentance and... Rejuvenation. I don't think you know. I, th- I think it was okay. So I, I used to be really, you know, you know. If it's not Welch's, then it doesn't count. I, I I'm kind of tempering myself a little bit. Of course, if you remember, I, I would now use that the stuff that's you know organic, no preserve You know, it's like so. But it, we'll use that. So, but in these four cups of fruit of the vine, they'll sit around and they pour each other's glasses. And in this, they, they'll read this passage They'll say, I will rescue you. They'll start with this blessing of sanctification. God is promising to rescue our people, the Jews would say, right? And they'll do some activities. And then they'd have the second glass of fruit of the vine where they pour it for each other. I will save you. This is when they tell the story of the Exodus, of them being brought out, all right? And then they have a meal the bitter herbs and all that. They eat the meal. And then they have the third cup. It's, I will redeem you. Um, they say grace after the Jews. I, I like this. I always wonder why do we thank God before we eat, right? Because what if it's no good? Mm. Uh, now, the concept behind that is if you're eating something that God has provided and you don't say thank you, you're essentially stealing. I mean, I know it's not, but you're, you're just an ungrateful little, you know. But, but the Jews also would say grace after a meal. They say before and after. Thank you, God, for this food we're about to eat. May it bless the nourishment of our bodies. You know thing. And then what do you say after? Man. Sure was good, God. Especially that whipped topping on the lemon meringue pie. You know. Well, no, that comes from the passage when when they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and God says, "You're going to go into houses you didn't build. You're going to eat from plants you didn't grow. Remember me." When you're fat and happy, remember where it came from. In the United States, we're all fat and happy. We have a hard time acknowledging God because we have all of our... We're not desperate. And in times of desperation, that's when people reach out to God. And God says, when you're no longer desperate, don't forget me. So the Jews would have a second prayer after the meal to recognize where that source came from. Um, and then the fourth one, I will take you for myself. They pour a glass and they it on the table and they don't touch it for a while. And they'll get up and they'll go open the door because the return of Elijah, who I think is John the Baptist, right? You know, the, the the return of the prophets coming. So maybe he will come in and and share this with us. So they wait and tell some more of the story before at the end of the meal they, then they will drink that fourth cup, right? That's kind of the pattern that happens. But this is this is fun for me because in First Corinthians, this is another evidence where we see an apostolic. Mandate isn't the right word, but example that they did this in the first century. Paul says, I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you. I brought it to you guys in Corinth, right? We're going to do this thing. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke my body, which is for you. Do this and remember to me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper. He took it after supper. If I was Jewish and grown up having those four cups, I would know exactly which cup it was because we drank the cup of redemption after supper. Wow. Wow. They ate supper, and Jesus takes the cup of redemption and says, I'm about to redeem all of mankind. You see what's going on here? Wow. Right. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and acts of great judgment. I'm going to take you from my. Man, this is, this is opening this up to all of us. I think it's beautiful. Therefore, whoever eats it or drinks it in an unworthy manner sh- shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So let us examine ourselves. And they need it. You remember that thing we pulled up there from Justin Martyr, 155, 157? He said, talking about the early church service, they would read the Bible till they couldn't read it anymore. And then the, the president, you know, whoever was up, the, the preacher, would pass out the implements for those who had been washed and who were living according to the teaching of the apostles. So examine ourselves. Are we living like we need to be living, right? And then do that. It's This is coming to a sticky situation in my family. A lot of you know that I've had foster kids and they come to my house and I don't know their background. We go to church and they take communion. And I kind of explained before we go to church, this is what we're going to do, this is that and the other. But uh, And they'll say, well, yeah, I was baptized. And so they'll take communion. Now, where they... I don't, I don't dig, you know, show me your baptismal certificate. You know, I don't do that. Um, So here's another area where I think we need to have a little bit of grace with people who are struggling with an understanding and may not have grown up understanding them. But this is pretty much an indication that for those of us who have been washed, who have been sanctified, to evaluate ourselves. um, And this is also an indication that when Jesus is eating that meal where he institutes that, it's not just for the apostles. It's for everybody. Because sometimes Jesus says things to his apostles and it's for them right so that's kind of the background that i think this carries on to us we see examples throughout things um and i think it's appropriate so now how long was that oh man about 10 minutes okay we're good we're good we're good we're good so now you know my pattern i like to pick someone to dedicate our hour of study to someone who's not in this room maybe not in this building someone who you may want to connect with on a spiritual level or maybe a a good friend or a relative who you just want to use it as an excuse to share what we talked about in Bible class today. And this is a great... So think of someone, and during the next couple days, give them a call, go see him. say, let me tell you what David Greger talked about in Bible class today, and y'all can parse it down to the next level where you want. Um, when I study, I try to think, who can I share this with? It's not right for me to study and not share the Word of God with somebody. So if you have someone in mind, Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, you have preserved your word for us for thousands of years. And we are so fortunate to be able to sit here today in a room with, with a hard copy sitting in front of us, with copies on our electronic devices and multiple translations. We have tools today that, that the people in the first and second and third and fourth and fifth centuries couldn't even dream of. We have such great access to your word Help us to look at Your Word and tackle some of the things that Your Son said while He was walking among us to, to draw in His teachings, tr- try to understand some things that are sometimes confusing. And even after sitting in a classroom talking about them, we still may leave confused, but Father, spending time in Your Word is never a waste of time. Help us to serve You through all that we do. It's through Your Son we pray. Amen. As a matter of complete disclosure uh, John Kackleman put these topics together sent out an email and I don't know if he sent it out to the four guys who are doing it all at the same time or if he sent it to me first because I had first dibs on all the topics okay and I know that when I'm involved in a group teaching effort First dibs is important because you can pick the ones you want, okay? After everyone had picked the ones that we wanted, John Cackleman sent out another email that said, I've still got a couple open dates. Can you guys take another thing? <laughs> My mama told me taught me to always try to help when you need to help, all right? I'm still working on this word called no, all right? I haven't quite learned it yet, but working on it. i not sure, you know, I'd be glad to. What do you have left, John? Oh, Dave, why don't you take blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Now, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't know what that was, and I'm not too sure about that. All right? Sure. Let's take that, all right? Now, if I were to ask, and I'm not going to ask your thoughts, okay, but what are some things that you have heard other people say that this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is? How do you... Uh, what does this mean? Speaking against, I think. I've heard it's impossible to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. You've heard it's impossible to blaspheme, okay, at this time? But I mean, that's just what have heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now this is we need to open up a broad door for this because there are a gazillion thoughts on this. OK, yes, sir. Uh, Taken in, in vain, like you see back in don't take the Lord's name in vain. Right. OK. Yeah. Um, one of the more common things that's out there is this idea. Well, put aside what we know about this. Does the blood of Christ have the ability to cover all sin? Now, there's a little caveat here in this passage that we're not too comfortable with, right? Now, we'll we'll read them here in just a second. But the blood of Christ has to be able to cover all sin. Therefore, the only way you could, because this is known as the unpardonable sin, the eternal sin, right? Will never be forgiven in this age or the age to come, right? So the only way that the blood of Christ can't cover you for whatever this is, is for you to be on your deathbed still unrepentant because the Holy Spirit is designed to convict us of sin, to reveal God to us, you know, and there all kinds of. If we continually reject that, that's the only way we can never, ever, 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 ever be covered of that. That's kind of the modern thought process on that, okay? And now there are some uh, branches within that, but it all kind of boils down to someone who is unrepentant. No matter how hard the Holy Spirit is t- is opening your eyes to the truth, and by living that way, because you'll never repent, therefore it won't ever be forgiven. Is that? Too, I'm getting a weird, getting some weird eyeballs back here. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm? Yeah. So I don't think that's it. All right. Looking in the 1600s, 1650s, uh, looking at some of the Puritan literature, they're very clear on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three—the triune, the Trinity, right? Three parts. that I, I don't want to use the word persons because God is so much higher than than man. Right? But the three. Yeah. Yeah. The the yes. The the Trinity, um, oh golly, uh, they would recognize at different points in our lives we would honor the Father, honor the Son, honor the Spirit. When I was a child, in my very simplistic view, God was in charge of the Old Testament, Jesus was in charge of the Gospels, Holy Spirit was in charge from Acts chapter two on. Right? That, very simplistic. Are you laughing at me? Did you believe the same thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. But then you read John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and that Jesus was there at the beginning and He created things. And it's just that. Like, oh, uh, that messes up my 10-year-old theology, okay. But it's, 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 it's a good way to frame it. It's okay. Um, but, but the Holy Spirit is probably the most forgotten, most misunderstood, most neglected part of the Godhead. How many songs in our songbook do we have about Jesus? 60%? 70%? How many songs do we have about the Holy Spirit? I didn't count them. Two? Uh, I don't, you know, It's like, can we think, you know, uh, we might have a verse about the Holy Spirit, you know. Father, we love you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you know, whatever, Spirit, you know. We might throw that in there, but for the most part, we live in the era of the Holy Spirit and yet all of our worship is focused on the Son, And I look at the Son and His life, all of His focus was on the Father. And so I've even got a little bit of an issue with our steadily focus on the Son and not focusing on the Father and a complete disregard is not the right word, but a complete disregard of the Spirit. Now why do we have such reticence to discuss the Holy Spirit? Something happened in 1901 that changed everything for us. The rise of the American Pentecostal movement. Okay? What are the what's the five-step plan of salvation? You know it, what is it? And then we throw in a hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live faithfully unto death, right? Something like that, right? We throw that in there at the end. That's not the original five. The original five were believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live a spirit-filled life. And yet with the rise of charismatic congregations and the rise of Pentecostalism, what does spirit-filled mean? Speaking in tongues, ecstatic visions, you know, stuff like that. I'm more of the Galatians 5 spirit-filled life, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're living your life in line with the Spirit, things are going to grow. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meek, I don't know, faith, faithfulness, self-control, right? There's nine of them. And depending on translation, seven or eight go meekness, faithfulness, they get, they get off. But you know, there's nine. You see these things develop in your life. If you're living a life in line with the Holy Spirit, which I think is in line with the teachings of God. I've got some very dear friends who believe that the Holy Spirit is the written word of God. Not, part of the, not a being part of the Trinity. Now, is that... Blaspheming the Spirit because part of this is because we want to push back so hard against things that we don't think are accurate. This charismatic movement in two thousand one you saw a rise of it again with a new apostolic reformation. You know, where all of a sudden the age of the apostles has been returned and they can declare a new scripture, which I don't think is accurate. But we're afraid isn't the right word. We just don't want to, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want it to, when I talk about it, I'm thinking love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? I'm thinking those things in my life. And then how does he do some other things? We'll look at that. Uh, So let's kind of get into some things here. Let's look at our two main passages, Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3. We're going to read Matthew chapter 12 this verse 22 through 32 this is a little a little more detailed than what we have in the, in mark but there's some wording in mark which we'll look at later Matthew chapter 12 verse 22 I'm reading from the NIV then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see and the people were astonished and said could this be the son of david because a, a descendant of david was supposed to be on the throne in Jerusalem that the prophets you know looking at is this the messiah but when the pharisees heard this they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Uh, Beelzebub. Do you know what the translation of Beelzebub means? How many of y'all read Lord of the Flies when you were in middle school or high school? Okay. Lord of the Flies is a literal translation of Beelzebub. And the, for the context is, what draws a whole lot of flies? You ever been out in a cow pasture? So this is a derogatory term for Satan, saying it's only by the power of the King of Cow Patties, right? That he's passed passed this out. You'll see this in Second Chronicles, chapter one, I believe. Um, You know, let's go go consult Baal Zebub, Baal of Zebub. Let's go consult him to see what i recover? from. It's, it's a demonic thing, okay? It's only by the power of Satan, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that his, this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. You remember Abraham Lincoln using these words? Hmm. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? Apparently, the Jewish people had their own exorcists. So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Mm. If you look in Mark chapter 3, verse 29 and 30, it talks about this being an eternal sin. All right? That's why we struggle with... Have you guys ever known anyone who wondered, might they have inadvertently blasphemed the Holy Spirit? accidentally done something in their youth and they're condemned because... I mean, my grandfather felt that way. So scared that he had done something in his youth that corresponded to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He's like, man, I'm not sure, so I'm going to do the whole Jesus thing for now, but man, I'm worried in the background. We don't understand this. We don't know this. So, um, is this passage saying it's okay to blaspheme Jesus? <coughs> Is it? It says it's okay to blaspheme Jesus? Okay, meaning, I mean, not, not okay, okay, but, but it is different. It's still a sin. It's different to blaspheme Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. yes. It's, now we're going to back up a little bit. From, yeah, it's still a sin. We don't want to do it. This is not go blaspheme Jesus all day long, but just don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? He's not saying that. What he's doing, he's giving us... <clears throat> That Jesus will forgive us for bad talking to him. That avenue is there, All right. But he's laying something up about you want to be really, 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 really careful about how we interact with the Holy Spirit, how we talk about that. So we'll, we'll look at a passage here in just a second about that. I don't think he's saying yes is okay. Knock yourself out, blaspheme all day long, just before you go to bed. To you know. Jesus, I repent. You know, I don't think that's okay, and I don't think any of us would think that. All right, but when I was reading this, oh, uh, you blaspheme Jesus all day long. Just don't blaspheme the Spirit, right? There are limits. You got something going on, or you don't. Yeah, you, you. I, no, I was just, I was just thinking, um, where did Jesus get his power from? And his, um, if I'm going to, uh, but I mean, Jesus got his power. His, his, he's saying that his power. To do this came from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, um, and so to speak a word against Jesus—that's uh, what he's talking about here—is the Spirit gave him this power, and you've just called the Spirit dung, trash. Um, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty serious, huh? You know, it's like yeah. We take into account who is he actually talking to at that point. That kind of helps me. hmm Who's he talking to? Of course, it bleeds over yeah yeah there are a lot of those people were right then in there blaspheming what was jesus yeah they yeah were, they had him on he was on the stand yes yeah he was on the stand so those people, right, people right there To them, you know you, you can get away with this and i'm assuming his blood would take care of that okay and his blood had not been shed yet yeah the okay. for those of you on hey mom if this is for you all right the comment was um in the context Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees are saying, "You're doing this by the power of the King of Poop, right?" And so they're they're trashing Jesus deliberately, but he's saying, "My power has come from the Spirit, so my blood will cover whatever happens to that, you know. Now, for those who accept it, you know that kind of stuff. But but something's coming, right? Something's coming. Yeah." The comfort is coming, yeah. Leviticus chapter twenty-four. We see an example of blasphemy. Leviticus chapter twenty-four, verses ten through sixteen. Now, the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites. This is they've they've left Egypt out of captivity, and it wasn't just the Israelites; they had part of the Egyptians came with them too, right? They believed. In so here you have the son of an Israelite mother, an Egyptian father out there in the, in the Exodus. Uh, and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse, so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was shelemith the daughter of Debre the Danite. So this is the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, If anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether an alien or a native born. When he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death." That's brutal. Now this is talking about the name of the Father, right? When, if you ever listen to any podcast being done by a rabbi, and they're talking about the holy name of God, the tetragram on the four letters, we would call it YHVH, Uhevache, Some of our King James-based songs call him Jehovah, because from the Hebrew through the Latin into the English, the Y becomes an I, becomes a J. You know, like uh, Jesus in Mexico is Jesus. You know, there's there's stuff going on, so like like that. Well, when they refer to the four letters, they will use the word Hashem. Hashem, Ha means the, Shem name. They say the name instead of saying the name alright so in this case whoever blasphemes Hashem the name put him to death we, we elevate that we hold that as we revere the name now in a classroom setting you could say the name because you're not degrading disrespecting but still to hold that level of holiness so high is something that we have difficulty relating to you know OMG let's just throw his name in the gutter right When I had a oh dear, this is being recorded. A friend of mine uh, teaches a middle school class, and I saw him one day getting ready for class and kind of kind of pensive. And I and I said, What's going on? He said, I got to teach class today. Really? What are you teaching on? Well, today's the goddamn class. We're going to talk about when you say goddamn it. What does it mean for God to damn something? All eternity in damnation and hellfire and flames. Do you really want God to damn that nail when you bent it over for something so trivial? It's like I got to remember that. <laughs> you know, it's like wow, that's a way to you know to, to add some some heat to it. You know, um, here this Israelite Egyptian. biracial child or teenager or adult, I don't know, gets they're fighting with it. Who started the fight? We don't know. What did this person say? Are the words recorded for us? Why not? Wouldn't it be nice to know if someone says these words... That's what we're talking about. It's not that simple because it's much broader than that. It's not that simple, it's much more broad than that. That's not the point. I think when we get specific with the scripture, we tend to say, Okay, that's the way it's wrong. Okay. Instead of taking this principle is wrong. Uh, if we take the if we have the Scripture say that's the only way it's wrong rather than this principle is wrong. Right. And if the Scripture recorded these words for us, then my grandfather would know, oh, I've never said that. Therefore, I've never blasphemed the name of God, right? And yet, what about when you're going through your rebellious years and you just want to test God and you open it up to Leviticus chapter 4 and you read what that guy said, just daring God to curse you. We don't want that to be available either, do we? So I think God, the Spirit, and His wisdom... Gives us enough information to have a principle. Let's let's respect, let's revere God, but doesn't give us the formula for wanton disregard. You know what I'm saying? I think there's something there. I think it's very wise. But it's like, man, I wonder what this guy said. Then even reading it, would it count? You know? And if you're reading out loud, would you have to skip over that part? Yeah, you know. There's some things with that. I want to give you guys a preliminary working def- definition of blasphemy. All right. This is preliminary because we're going to modify it if we get there, right? Traditionally speaking, blasphemy is lowering deity or elevating the created through spoken or written means. Okay? Let's talk about this. Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisee says, He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God, right? By Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, Jesus elevates Himself in terms of a relative status to the Almighty. Now, Jesus had that authority, okay? But in their minds, look, He's blaspheming. He's saying this. Therefore, He's elevating Himself, which in essence lowers God. So you always want to revere God. Blasphemy is basically spoken, written way to minimize God, okay? That's a great working definition. And when I found that out a couple years ago, was, ah, because I had no clue, all right? Blasphemy is bad. You don't want to do it. I don't even know what it means, right? So that's a good working definition. We'll get there in just a second. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit, though. What's the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? Do we have a comfortable knowledge of the Holy Spirit? This is probably, I, uh, Francis Chan wrote a book several years ago called Forgotten God talking about the Holy Spirit, all right? And I read the book, and man, there's a lot there, but I still wasn't, I, I don't, because we don't sing about the Holy Spirit, I don't, you know, I don't get it. But if we look just real quick through the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, No eye is seen, nor ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God has prepared of him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Romans 5.5 God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.11 These are all work of the same Spirit who gives spiritual gifts to everyone just as He determines. John 16 Talking to the apostles When the Spirit of truth comes He'll guide you in all truth. Acts 6, 16 they were kept by the Holy Spirit from going over here, kept by the Holy Spirit from going over there. They had a vision of the man of Macedonia, so the gospel came to Europe because the Holy Spirit kept them out of other places. Second Corinthians 13, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit, here we see the Trinitarian formula. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all listed in the same, same places. Is the Holy Spirit deity? I'm going to say yes to that. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. 5 verse 3, uh, you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, why have you lied to God? The Holy Spirit equated with deity. Matthew 28, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all there together. Hebrews 9, how much more than will the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit who offered Himself unblemished to God God cleanse our conscience. Uh, Romans 1, talking about Jesus, through the Spirit of holiness, He was declared with power to be the Son of God. 1 Peter 4, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the Spirit of glory and God rests on you. The Trinitarian formula again. 1 Peter 1.21, no prophecy had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they're carried along by the Spirit. Involved in putting together scripture for us. Romans eight, if you want to read a whole chapter about the Spirit, oh my goodness. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free. The righteous requirements of the law might be met in us who live according to the Spirit. Those of us who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. A mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You're controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives you. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Wow. I think the Holy Spirit is a little more there, than what I've grown up believing because of our fear of being associated with Pentecostalism. The spirit of sonship, the, the first fruits of the spirit, this verse 26 and 27. I love this. The spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit intercedes for us with groans, two deeper words. On Tuesday, this email hit my, hit my box. My daughter in law pregnant, giving birth. She tested positive for COVID. She struggles with anxiety, don't we all? Young, first child. And it said, my daughter-in-law is going to have to go to the hospital without her husband because she had tested positive for Corona. And somebody, somebody prayed in here because Wednesday we found out he could go in the room, but he could not leave the room. Thursday, Little David Oliver got here, although that's probably more his personality, right there. I'm thinking, <laughs> all right. Uh, and and right now, she, uh, for those of you who prayed before, I'm going to ask keep praying. She's had a reaction to some medicine that um, that was prescribed to the hospital, and so she had to go back to the hospital. And she's they're kind of, um, you know, all those warnings. This may cause, you know, the, she's having all of that, all right. She's one of those people. So uh, pray for her. Pray for my family. And I appreciate it from what you've done so far. And, and to see that Tuesday went just, the, wow, God, you know, wow, that's great. I told you I was going to give you a modified definition of this, okay? I believe there's a critical piece that's missing here. And I'm thinking my grandfather knew this. He might feel a little more comfortable. In First Timothy, chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 1. First Timothy doesn't have 12 chapters. First Timothy, chapter 1. Listen to this, verse 12, I thank, Jesus, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me faithful, appointing me to His service. This is Paul writing this, even though I was once a blasphemer. Paul has gone from blasphemer to apostle. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. There's a difference between homicide and murder. You know what the difference is? Intent. I believe there's a difference between an unpardonable eternal sin and something not. So I like to add the word intentionally lowering deity. I like to add that word. And that gives me a little bit of comfort with this, okay? John MacArthur says if you misattribute things of the Spirit, to things of the world or vice versa, that's what it means. And that's why we see He's very opposed to the charismatic movement because it's taking these things that shouldn't be going on and giving credit to the Spirit, where in the Gospel, we see the opposite of that going on with it. All right. Long story short, what's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I think if we're living our lives that, that honors God, honors the Son, honors the Spirit, We won't be doing that. And speaking for myself, I need to spend a lot more time just reading and studying and getting to know the Spirit and letting Galatians 5, love, joy, peace continue to grow. Don't know if I answered any questions, cost some more, but Bible study is always good. Thank you guys for being here. See you next week.